It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Now, and I give her, I, I'm genuinely complimenting her. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. No, 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 no. Let let him talk. No, let. Look. First. That's okay. Look. Look, it's not a Trump rally. Let them holler. No one's paying attention. Look, here's the point. Virtually all the COVID-19 deaths and hospitalizations. All I want is, uh, that's okay. Look, this is not a Trump rally. Let them holler. No one's paying attention to them. It's amazing how uh, Joe Biden's cognitive kicks in when it's time to be mean. He's really good at that. That was a a rally in Virginia. Uh, He's trying to get Terry McAuliffe elected again, which would be a nightmare for Virginians. Uh, And I don't want to get sidetracked on that. But Joe Biden is defending uh, Terry McAuliffe. And so there were Trump supporters there not happy about Joe Biden or Terry McAuliffe. And they heckled. And he says, that's okay. Look, this is not a Trump rally. Let them holler. No one's paying attention to them. Well, I have to tell you, I'm not sure that's true. I'm just not sure that's true. But that's probably what Joe thinks because he's isolated President Biden, I should say, right? Because he's isolated in the White House and he's probably hearing that no one's, you know, no one's listening to those people anymore. That's yesterday's news. No one cares. Uh, We've won. We're running everything. Nothing to worry about. Mark Levin had a different viewpoint. He was on Sean Hannity. He's just written a new book called uh, American Marxism. And I just wanted you to get a little taste of what Mark had to say. By the way, Mark's a good friend, and uh, I love just about everything Mark says. So I want you to hear this little nugget. Let's listen. Revolution. I was part of the Tea Party movement. I was part of the Trump revolution. There is a massive movement afoot. Uh, It's not under the radar. People just aren't looking at it. Uh, The silent majority is not going to be silent anymore. The American people are furious with what's happening to their country. And by American people, I mean all American people who love this country, regardless of their color, their religion, their background, red-blooded Americans. They are sick and tired of what they've seen in the first six months of this administration. They don't like the way they're being treated by the elites in the media. They don't like being looked down upon by these phony professors who they bring on TV who trash them. Uh, They are disgusted with the teachers' unions. Parents all over this country can't believe what's happened to elementary schools and secondary schools. Parents go broke to send their kids to college, and now they're coming home on Thanksgiving or other days, and they don't know what's happened to them. We are paying for our own demise with tenured Marxist professors and administrators for schools that are turning on our 
founding and our history, Americans love their history. The American people are not going to roll over and play dead. The American people are going to speak out. And let me tell you what's going to happen in 2022 with the mansion types and the others who pretend to be moderates, who play footsies with these American Marxists. You're going to get blown out. In fact, every one of you is going to get blown out. So kiss your career goodbye. You may have power now. You may be trying to force your will on the American people now, but it will not last. That's what's going on in this country. I feel it and I know it. All right. So I had to play that for you because I thought that was a perfect counterpoint to Joe Biden. No, don't worry about him. Nobody's listening to them. This is not a Trump rally. Nobody's listening to them. Really? Uh, We'll see. Because I think Mark is right. I don't know, you know, only if God allows it, but certainly uh, God's people are on the move. And some patriots that don't know God are on the move, too. We're working together uh, to try to take back our country. But you know what? It's not just happening here. Uh, This is amazing. This was in Epoch Times over the weekend. Uh, There are protests happening all across Europe uh, as lockdowns and vaccination mandates are starting. I want you to hear just a little bit. This is in London yesterday. Let's listen. was really interesting. You know, uh, the, when I was in London last, uh, my husband and I went to the, the, the theater district, and uh, they love music. They love music, musicals, so they're singing that great song from a, it's an old uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein song, We'll Never Walk Alone, and the whole crowd was singing it. And uh, that's just what happened in London. Uh, in France, it was, even riots broke out. There was a lot of tense riot police firing tear gas and clashes because France is getting ready to, um, it's pending legislation that will set up a vaccine passport system and a vaccination mandate for all healthcare workers. And people are upset about this. Uh, they are also, mm, uh, did I say, London, Dublin, Paris, Rome, Athens, and other cities across Europe are fighting back. Uh, people like you and like me who are seeing other kinds of research and information, and they, they're not taking kindly to being forced by their governments uh, to take something that they don't trust. And I, I um, yeah, as usual, I have like a million things to share with you. Okay, so I'm going to try to give you what I think are the most important. Uh, over the weekend, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> an international coalition of medical experts held worldwide events to underscore the effectiveness of ivermectin. Organizers of the World Ivermectin Day say doctors and supporters of the inexpensive FDA-approved drug will host free online and public events in over a dozen countries. And the uh, two nonprofits, and I've recommended them to you, I'll recommend them to you again, Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care, that's FLCCC. That's where you could find it if you're looking at it uh, for it online uh, to get some ivermectin, go to F-L-C-C-C. And you got to write that down because you know they're going to, if I put that on Facebook, which we will, they'll take it down and you won't see it. So that's why, you know, you should, if you can, I, I can't believe I'm asking you to do this, but honestly, if you could start listening to the show with a pencil and paper, you would be able to get more information because sometime we won't we won't be able to get this at all. This is the drip you're still getting uh, because you can't find it on social media, but it's F L. 
CCC. And uh, that's uh, and the British Ivermectin Recommendation Development Group, those two groups, uh, they're campaigning for the off-label root use of ivermectin. That means ivermectin is given for other things, and but, but they found it to be extremely effective. And I told you about my personal story of my own husband and ivermectin, uh, who is recovering in our home right now uh, over from his COVID pneumonia after treat, being treated with ivermectin. God bless these doctors for taking whatever risks they take uh, to push this drug. And uh, Tess Laurie, who's the co-founder of uh, the British group, says, We have an incredibly positive and uplifting message to share. Ivermectin treats and prevents COVID, and it is the key to unlocking the never-ending cycle of pandemic peaks and personal restrictions and will help start economies. Um, there's, let's see, um, you know that uh, I don't need to tell you this part about the uh, unprecedented censorship with the word ivermectin on a social media. It will be taken off immediately. Why is that? Why is that? Uh, and she talked about how her work has just been completely uh, censored online. I want to tell you, she, so this is what the FLCCC Alliance has said. Thank you for uh, abandoning our mission is not an option. Yes, it has been hell. But as Winston Churchill once said, if you're going through hell, keep going. So if we need to leave you here, we understand, but we'll march on. Your life matters that much. That was their public statement about this. So I just, um, that article is Doctors Raise Awareness on Ivermectin Treatment for COVID-19. If you go to the Epoch Times and look for that article, you can find it. We will put it on our Facebook page just because we will. And we'll see how quickly they take it down. Also, here's another important article this morning. Um, this is really thick with information, and it's also from the Epoch Times. The, a nonprofit sues HHS to immediately stop emergency use Authorization of COVID-19 Vaccines. America's Frontline Doctors, a nonprofit, filed a motion on July 19 seeking immediate injunctive relief to stop the emergency use authorization of COVID-19 vaccines for three groups of Americans. Anyone under the age of 18, anyone who has recovered from COVID-19, and those who haven't given informed consent as defined by federal law. Um, And the motion was filed against uh, Javier Becerra, Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. They give a lot of reasons. Let me see if I can say them quickly but clearly. That's my challenge. First reason, there's no underlying emergency and no serious or life-threatening disease or condition. Uh, According to the defendant's data, the the virus has an overall survivability rate of 99.8% globally. It's on par with seasonal flu. The defendant's data is deliberately inflated, the complaint alleges. It claims that the HHS has changed the rules applicable to people responsible for writing death certificates and requires them to make cause of death determinations primarily attributable to COVID. We've talked about that so much. Everything's attributed to COVID. All these deaths because they get more money. The way in which COVID-19 is diagnosed using magnified values from PCR tests that were also authorized for emergency use, guarantees an unacceptably high number of false positives. And I don't have time to even expand on this stuff. Uh, COVID vaccines aren't effective in diagnosing, treating, or preventing a disease or condition, which fails another requirement for issuing and maintaining emergency status for these vaccines. The complaint cites data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that says a total of 10,262 virus breakthrough infections uh, Uh, within 14 or more days after receiving required dosages of the vaccine were reported between January the 1st and April 30th. It is important to note that the vaccines were only shown to reduce symptoms, not block transmission. 
Third, the benefits don't outweigh the known potential risks of each vaccine. Those risks are especially increased in reproductive health, potential death, neurological damage, more virulent strains, and others. And last, there are adequate and approved and available alternatives to these vaccines, such as ivermectin, uh, budesonide, and hydroxychloroquine and others. Uh, Then talks about how people are not adequately informed about the dangers of the virus, um, and uh, the person who is their defendant or their person bringing the, the suit said, I did not understand this was gene therapy rather than a traditional vaccine. And I did not understand that the vaccines were not approved. That's just a portion of uh, the, uh, the, um, the document. It also cites a recent Cleveland Clinic study that demonstrates that natural immunity through prior infection is a much stronger benefit conferred than a vaccine. It also talks about the dangers to the three groups I just said. Uh, they have a whistleblower who uh, calls herself Jane Doe. She's a computer programmer with expertise in the healthcare data. She's claiming that 45,000 deaths actually have followed vaccines. And she points out that uh, the, the swine flu vaccine was taken off the market because of 53 deaths. And so according to her estimation, 45,000 deaths have happened following the vaccination. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about my voice. <clears throat> okay, so that's a great article. Nonprofit sues HHS to immediately st- <clears throat> stop emergency use authorization of COVID-19 vaccines. And then, oh, man, there's just so much. I'll see. I'll give you headlines. Uh, a civil rights group is challenging uh, George Mason's mandate that there be a vaccine. Uh, and so just that's all I have time to tell you. The um, United States, our government, George Biden's government, will not investigate governors who ordered nursing homes to accept covid positive residents. So George, uh, Governor Cuomo's off the hook, and so is Governor Whitmer in, in um, Michigan. Gee, you know? And of course, if it's not illegal, it's not immoral, right? For you to actually cause the death of tens of thousands of seniors because they get off, it's okay, right? Because whatever the law says, that's what's moral. No, that's not true. That's the confusion over abortion. The fact that it's legal does not make it moral. And so... Uh, these are the these are the complexities we have to wade through as we consider what's happening in our world. Uh, the data from India continues to blow up the fact that, that Delta is a much more virulent strain, and I don't have time to get to that. That's David Daniel Horowitz, and we'll put his article also on our Facebook page. But coming up next, I have a, a great guest, Peter Wood for the National Association of Scholars, and uh, you want to hear what he has to say. Yes, you do. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman with the American Family Association and American Family Radio. Hey, we're having a retreat this fall. In fact, October 3rd through the 6th, we're going to be gathering at the Purcell Farms, just about 45 minutes southeast of Birmingham, Alabama. It's in the mountains, and we're going to have a wonderful time, and we'd love for you to join us. Our speakers will be Sandy Rios, Abe Hamilton, Ray Pritchard, Bert Harper, I'm going to be there along with a lot of the AFA and AFR team. So it's going to be a wonderful time of refreshment and fellowship. And we're just going to have a lot of fun. There's so many great things to do there on the campus of the Purcell Farm. So if you'd like to join us for this very special retreat, just go to afaretreat.net. afaretreat.net. We've only got a few rooms left, in fact. afaretreat.net. And we hope to see you there this fall. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay. 
pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stearns with news and commentary next. If you're a first responder, you know the right training can make all the difference in a crisis. At Liberty University, we know the right training can make all the difference for your future. So we're proud to offer you a 25% discount on our more than 450 online degree programs. Combine this discount with our generous military benefits if you or your spouse also have military experience. Learn more about getting the right training at Liberty University by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's degree to 49595. The Bible teaches us we are all made in the image of God, and a Catholic school in Michigan says that's why they are opposed to the state's mask mandate. The Resurrection School in Lansing filed a federal lawsuit claiming the mask mandate violates religious liberty by covering up God's image. The school argued masks also make students less social, and they make it harder for children to breathe. That was one of the arguments made by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He rejected mandatory masks in public schools, saying kids need to breathe. Resurrection School says man-made masks shield our humanity and cover up God's image. I like the way these guys think. Facial nudity. It's your God-given right, America. My new book, now the number one Christian inspirational book in the nation, Our Daily Biscuit. You can order a copy now at your favorite bookstore or at toddstarns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. It is also just empirically true partisan politics, specifically Republican leaders and affiliated media, media spewing lies about the vaccine. That is getting in the way of science and health. It is undeniably the case that one of the main issues we are facing in combating this disease 18 months into this is a kind of radicalization of the American right against vaccination. Yeah, so uh, I played it because I just wanted to remind you of how how, uh, out of touch all of you are who listen to me and are concerned about the vaccinations. You should know that, you know, all rational, smart people uh, will line up and take that shot and uh, will mask up again and uh, will, you know, be told by the government that they should, you know, social distance now they shouldn't, now they should. Uh, they need to get vaccinated. They'll be safe, and now they won't be, and now they can't. And we just all accept that because it's coming from very smart people, right? So uh, enough of that. I, I talk about the two most, uh, I guess, cons- the largest conspiracies on the market right now. I talk about them every day. I talk about covid and uh, how they're talking about it and how we're being just not only massively confused, but also propagandized in a very dangerous way. Then I talk about the election of 2020. Well, my next guest, Peter Wood, is the president of the National Association for Scholars. And, you know, if you're a scholar now or a conservative intellectual, 
uh, it's not an easy it's not an easy road right now, as you can imagine. But National Association of Scholars uh, um, is doing great work, and Peter has written a really thoughtful piece that I wanted to share with you. He's got a great sense of humor. It's called "We Conspiracists, We Happy Few," and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Peter. How hard is it for you? Honestly, to be a conservative intellectual right now, harder than before, more, less hard, what? Well, it's a bit lonely, I would say, but not especially hard uh, because I, I left academe proper. I'm no longer a college professor, so I don't have to deal with the insanity of pronouns and the uh, walking on eggshells that my former colleagues have to do. Uh, and I find myself in a very kind of almost joyous position in that I can speak out fearlessly about things that matter to me. And uh, that's something that's no longer the case for most uh, conservative intellectuals. How do you find, what's the response? Um, do you have, um, like, professors and intellectuals of other stripes um, contacting you to talk, you know, like, off record, don't put my name on your list, but I feel the same way you do. Do you have much of that? I do, and I try to respond to those people along the lines that uh, they're going to be a lot happier if they do go on the record and stick their necks out. Um, I know because I did, and I I found that the rewards of being free are are actually pretty great. Um, (laughs) Reminds me of a founding father who said famously, give me liberty or give me death. And honestly, I think we are kind of getting a glimpse, Peter. We're not talking about death yet, yet. Maybe the January yep. 6th guys are, but um, we are getting a glimpse of what it really does mean to be free and, and that it's worth fighting for, don't you think? Yeah, it is. Um, and I think we will have to fight in one form or another because the, uh, the left is absolutely determined to grind us into dust. Uh, to use one of their favorite words, we need to be delegitimated, denied <laughs> voice through the media and denied opportunities in the workplace. So. Uh, they're not playing beanball with us. This is uh, hard stuff, and if we don't stand our ground, we will be crushed. Yeah, let's talk about your world, though, your world of intellectuals. Uh, you, uh, in your piece, and your piece is great, by the way. <laughs> I read it twice. I hardly ever do that, Peter, because I have so much to read. But I actually read your piece twice, so I hope you find that uh, encouraging. But um, well, you, uh, th- this was kind of motivated by a series of essays by uh, the kind of the intellectual leader of the... Uh, uh, either the, the of the hate. Um, let's see, the dart throwers. That's too kind. The people that would destroy uh, intellectual freedom and position of someone like you as a scholar on conservative issues, Laura, Laura Field. Talk about her for a second, and what was kind of the catalyst for this? Well, she's uh, a kind of self-described conservative, but the sort that went never trumper. Uh, her the place where she hangs out a, a lot is the bulwark with the uh, uh, magazine or webzine uh, that has become the gathering place for many of the never trumpers. Uh, she also works for the Wisconsin Center, uh, which I wasn't familiar with until I started reading Fields' work, uh, which is a I guess it again styles itself as kind of conservative, but it's not really. It, it's the uh, sort of organization that uh, goes all in on climate hysteria and has found peace with compromise on 
pretty much everything establishment Washington wants to do. So those are the two places that she writes for. She's become a a, a very persistent uh, demonizer of anybody that she deems to be tainted with Trumpism. So she's got, uh, by my count, nine fairly significant articles in which she lays out her view, uh, the most recent of which tackles what she calls conspiracism, uh, which is, she says, the the disease of the new intellectual right. Uh, Conspiracism is, in her account of things, uh, conspiracy without a theory, just making wild assertions that can't possibly be true, and that the uh, we conservative intellectuals are largely responsible for uh, allowing this to happen by creating vague abstractions that give cover to people who want to make up conspiracy theories. And so uh, the one thing that she does, I think you pointed this out, and I think I read most of her article too, she um, she gets very vitriolic. I mean, she doesn't sound like an intellectual when she writes. She sounds like... <laughs> Uh, she sounds like the, the you know, the uh, garden variety and anti-Trumper who gets just crazy, like wild-eyed, hair frizzy, uh, like their fingers in an, an electric socket. They can't—what is it, Peter? Why can't they handle other viewpoints on this? Uh, I, let's say specifically on the election, and I want to get to some of your points because they're very important. Why can't they handle—why can't they handle any other viewpoint? Well, I— I mean, my honest opinion about it is that they realize at some level that the facts are against them, and if you can't argue the facts, you argue emotions instead. Uh, There are so many questionable circumstances around the uh, 2020 presidential election that anybody who uh, isn't actively trying to suppress skepticism is going to be skeptical that uh, Biden won that election fair and square. I I have, as you know uh, from prior conversations, a, a long-standing interest in how America licensed itself to get so angry. And Field first came to my attention as one of these people who was just uh, brimming with over-the-top anger. Uh, she's clearly an intelligent woman. She can write reasonably well, but her writing has gotten into this strain of vitriolic denunciation. Uh, the, this latest article that I mentioned, the highbrow conspiracism of the new intellectual right, is a, I think it's about 13,000 words long. It's enormously long for an article. Uh, and it's an attack on the uh, Claremont Institute out in California. She goes through the principal figures there one by one and tells us just how terrible they are as, as people, their ideas and their character. So, yeah, she's, she's nasty. Peter, let me interject. Uh, one of those that would be familiar to my audience is John Eastman. And John was the attorney, uh, is an attorney, not was. He still is very much. Uh, he was the one standing next to President Trump on January 6th on that stage. Uh, and he was, uh, uh, according to reports, uh, the uh, one that tried to persuade Mike Pence uh, to not accept the electors under those circumstances. So he is uh, uh, certainly the, at the tip of the spear of their hatred but let's talk, um, Peter, this is really important because um, people know about, most of the people that listen to this show know about many of the things that happened on uh, uh, the November 3rd election. But you have sort of, you've given a really concise and well thought out reason why just 
reason, I'll use the word again, causes people to wonder what happened. Can you just sort of deliver that to us? Why? What case can you make to other intellectuals of why, why they should actually be wondering themselves about what happened on that day? Well, I think uh, in no particular order, we saw uh, a astonishingly large number of people allegedly voting for Biden. Uh, that is, he clocked in uh, something like 11 million more votes than uh, Obama did at the height of Obama's popularity. Uh, Trump also outperformed himself in 2016, bringing in millions of more voters. So we have to then somehow convince ourselves that America suddenly became a place where uh, many, many millions of people who hadn't voted before were suddenly voting, and that despite the fact that uh, that Biden hardly campaigned at all, that he spent most of the campaign season in his basement, these great legions of new voters were breaking for him. Then we have the issue of the uh, swing states in which uh, Trump was well ahead at the closing of the balloting, but then they stopped counting uh, simultaneously in four different states. They reopened their counting late at night when no one was around to observe them, and suddenly all those late-breaking ballots were breaking for Biden. Um, so we have those circumstances which on their face would be suspicious, but there's many other things. There's the blockading of outside observers to uh, uh, people who were supposed to be able to watch the ballot counting were prevented from doing so. Uh, we had the intervention of uh, what they called Zuckbucks, the uh, Zuckermans using a lot of money to uh, elect or get appointed the people who were going to be in charge of the election. So we had a circumstance in which there was none of the usual bipartisanship over uh, who controlled the counting. We had uh, state attorneys generals in many attorneys general, I'm going to say that right, in many states. Uh, intervening over the state legislatures over uh, who could vote and when and the timing of the thing. This was uh, counter to state law. That is, the state legislatures get to decide those things, not the attorney general, but the attorney general uh, basically moved in and usurped their power. Uh, when the states protested, the uh, friendly judges, that is, elected Democratic judges, sided with the uh, attorney general. Um, there was this uh, flux of new voters uh, brought in by means of uh, what's called ballot harvesting, where people supposedly went around and collected ballots from people who hadn't sent in their absentee ballots and voted for them. We had this circumstance which was widely reported in which many of the absentee ballots that should have been mailed in to count as absentee ballots were unfolded. That is, they were just sheets of paper uh, that had apparently uh, been photocopied. Uh, now, nobody knows any of this for sure, because every time anyone's tried to litigate it, the courts have said, you don't have standing to bring the lawsuit, that uh, you haven't followed the correct process. So despite the fact that uh, the defenders of the election say things like the courts have consistently said it's a fair election, no, they haven't. All they've done is say, we refuse to look at this. And there's a world of difference between those two things. Uh, there were electoral dodges in every direction you might 
consider. Uh, districts in which the number of people who voted were way in excess of the likely number who could have voted. Uh, we know of uh, uh, stories of ballots being trucked in from New York to Pennsylvania to fill in areas where Biden was way behind. Um, all of that's anecdotal. All of it would have to be investigated by lawful authorities who have just sat down on the job and not done their work. So we put all these things together, the suspicions about the uh, uh, ballot harvesting and the various electoral dodges uh, and the failure of our legal system to step in and enforce the actual law. And it looks very much like the election was gained. Now, to say that, of course, is to get yourself uh, instantly labeled as a, a purveyor of the big lie or a the member of the, the fraternity of conspiracists. But it's really just common sense. Like what I said in my article is this, if you came home and saw someone going out your front door, someone you don't know carrying your flat screen TV, you would probably think that person is a thief and would be right to challenge him. Uh, well, you know, we don't actually have to have a court of law to exercise our common sense and realize that this election was tainted by some funny business. Whether the funny business was enough to actually sway the election, uh, I think it was, but it would be nice to have someone who is competent to actually count the ballots uh, and examine how this election was uh, conducted to do that work. Well, now in some of the states, there are efforts to do just that, and we find the Democratic Party being willing to spend millions of dollars to prevent it from happening. They're flooding the states with uh, attorneys and various forms of lawsuits and actions meant to stymie any uh, transparency on what the election was all about. Uh, that effort to stymie the transparency is itself uh, pretty strong evidence that they know the election was tainted, too. Yeah, it's, uh, it is it is bizarre. It defies logic. And that's why people of, you know, all, let's say, classes of intellect and accomplishment and achievement People of common sense who are people of truth go, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. This doesn't add up. Uh, and one thing, Peter, that sets you apart and gives you a particularly interesting insight is that you are an anthropologist and you you have followed, we, we've had so many discussions, you and I, about um, America's ideals, its foundings. How does the DNA of America and its notion of freedom, uh, not freedom for license, but freedom of choice and freedom of speech and freedom of dialogue and all of those things, how does that play into how we are responding? How do you, how do you see that happening? Our American DNA responding to this kind of shut up, you can't talk about that. How do you see that playing out? Uh, well, I think Americans uh, who have doubts about the election are very angry. Um, I have a book that's coming out in October titled Wrath, Enraged America, and my view is that you, you can shut people up by force or lock them up in D.C. jails for having trespassed on the Capitol only so long before people just explode. Now, I think this is a, a situation that I don't really welcome. That is, the, the left wants people to explode to give them an excuse for using armed force against America. We could, given the... Uh, ingredients of this circumstance end up with something really horrible, and uh, I don't want that to happen. But our commitment to 
to liberty in this country uh, is our DNA. That's what makes us Americans, our, uh, our sense that uh, our creators given us the right to liberty, and we need to honor that, uh, that gift, and we will honor that gift, despite the efforts of uh, people who uh, have been in their pursuit of power or wealth or both have decided to uh, compromise what it means to be American. Um, they're t- doing that through our schools, and there's other elements to this which you know, will take us in a different direction. But I, I think that uh, where we are in America right now with our battles over critical race theory and the 1619 Project and things like that is very much part of the same discussion of uh, why we are uh, on the verge of destructive wrath and why the country's cultural split is becoming uh, red hot. One thing you point out that was I'd never thought of, I think people would agree with you that a sense of fairness is part of our DNA too. That's not fair. We want things to be fair. And do you, though, attribute the rise of Black Lives Matter to that sense of fairness? Can you just say a word about that? Well, I would say that Black Lives Matter uh, addresses Americans' sense of fairness. If a claim is being made, we've been treated unfairly, uh, the police have uh, uh, treated us poorly, therefore uh, pay attention. And the Black Lives Matter movement, once you start peeling away the layers and seeing how the principles in it actually operate, loses credibility very quickly. But the initial thing is that they gain that credibility by making a claim on fairness, and Americans are sensitive to that. If you want to get people's attention almost on any issue, you point to an unfairness. And, uh, of course, cheating in an election is primary unfairness. That's got our attention, too. I want to quote Peter Wood <laughs> in closing here, Peter. The article, by the way, is called We Conspiracists, We Happy Few. Taken from Shakespeare, I'm thinking, just a little bit. But a um, uh, great title, and you, you miss Peter's sense of humor uh, by our conversation, but he, he says some very funny things in here, which you'll have to read the article to get. But let me say that he ends this like, uh, he ends his discussion of fairness by saying, but one thing we won't stand for, at least not for long, is usurpation. Fixing an election is not a good idea. We don't know what happened in the 2020 election. Demanding that we silence our doubts on pain of being written out of the national conversation, however, is an extremely bad idea. And then moves on to end, reassuring a nervous regime of its legitimacy can be a good short-term play, but it's perhaps not the best long-term strategy. Well, we're going to find out, Peter, aren't we, how this is going to play out. And um, meanwhile, we just continue to speak the truth and uh, be free in the doing of that. I agree with what you said earlier about the freedom there comes from being able to speak the truth and not being afraid. And that's that's the place we all need to come to if we are going to overcome this. The, the article, again, is called We Conspiracists, We Happy Few. And uh, we'll put it on our Facebook page so that you can read it. I think it's in the American Spectator, right, Peter? Uh, Spectator USA. Spectator USA. Okay, glad I asked you that. Peter Wood, the National Association of Scholars, a great place. You might want to uh, think about joining that. Uh, go to nas.com. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. 
Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. on American Family Radio, and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Christian parents are on the hook today because they have to identify the threats to the value system uh, that's being taught to their children in public schools. And their job is to protect their kids from these influences. Tune in for Family Talk with Dr. James Dobson. Weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. on American Family Radio. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program. God's blessings to you all. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After Jesus resurrected Lazarus, his and Lazarus's fame spread. They already planned to kill Jesus, but now, because Lazarus was tangible evidence of Jesus' resurrection power, the chief priests and Pharisees plotted to kill Lazarus too. They never worried about Lazarus before, but now, because he is a walking billboard of Christ's power, They want him dead, too. This, brothers and sisters, is why many come against you. It isn't personal, but satanic forces can't stand your representation of God's power to transform lives. That's why we rejoice when we're slandered for his namesake. Christ's power is on display. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married, she was like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose, and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us, that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to you know, use us to minister. There is no one who is closer to you than your spouse. And there is no one who knows you better. And this is by God's design. Marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. A new poll suggests that likely 2022 voters are primed for an even greater than normal course correction in a president's first off-year election. The Trafalgar Group, one of the country's most accurate pollsters, found stunning majorities hostile to a problem with which Joe Biden is inextricably associated, namely Chinese influence operations inside the United States. The poll found that 81% were concerned about China's influence over our government, media, and culture, with an actual majority very concerned. It seems inevitable that as the public learns more about Mr. Biden's own compromise by Chinese influence operators and that of so many of his administration's top officials, voters will rightly become even more alarmed. The question is, how much damage will the CCP be able to do before those opposed to its penetration and subversion here receive a powerful electoral mandate to reverse course? This is Frank Afney. 
Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We will run our own investigation. We have law enforcement. We have military. We have doctors. We have people from all walks of life. They want to know the answer. The American people deserve that. They don't deserve politics. They don't deserve destroying the institution. No committee in Congress will work if one person is picking all who can serve. This has not happened before. Yeah, so that was uh, Kevin McCarthy, who actually did a, did something incredible good for Kevin McCarthy. This would be a time to kind of uh, praise him, because he said that we Republicans are going to do our own investigation of January 6th, because Nancy Pelosi uh, would not let Jim Jordan or Jim Banks serve on the committee, uh, the, uh, the what, select committee. She decided that um, McCarthy could not appoint his own people. And so she's appointed Adam Kensinger and, um, yeah, uh, yes, Liz Cheney. Two people who hate Donald Trump and voted for his impeachment. That's who she's. Uh, that's who she's appointed, and so it's completely broken down. Uh, George Rasley has written a, an interesting article. He points out that this is this is a one party state. He says one of the foundational principles of our constitutional republic is respect for the rights of the political minority. A party or faction that is out of power in the legislative branch still manages its own affairs, elects its own leadership, and appoints its share of members to committees. And without the right to appoint minority party members, there can be no meaningful opposition to the majority party. And uh, then he goes on. There's a lot more to say, but the the title really says what George's point is, that it is a one-party state. Uh, When Republicans cannot appoint their own members to this committee, it has has really sunk into something that we never anticipated. Jim Banks made a a public statement about this after he was rejected. Uh, He was already doing investigations for January 6th, and this is what he said, clip, clip 12. Well, it's more clear than ever that Nancy Pelosi is not interested in an investigation. She's only interested in a narrative. She claimed that the reason that she booted me from the committee was because of antics on the part of Jim Jordan and I. And in hindsight, what I realize what she means by that now is that we were prepared to ask questions that no one else has asked and demand answers as to why the Capitol was vulnerable to an attack on January 6th. Why was there a systemic breakdown of security at the Capitol on January 6th. If you're going to investigate January 6th, why not ask those questions? And that, that's, all that, uh, that's all that this comes down to. She has, she has already predetermined a narrative about Donald Trump, about Republicans. She doesn't want to talk about what happened at the Capitol today, that day to make sure that something like that never happens again. On, on Wednesday, before I found out that I was banned from the committee, I found out, by the way, on Twitter, I was meeting with the head of the U.S. Capitol Police Union, who represents the rank-and-file heroes that make up the Capitol Police, who protect me, my family, my staff every single day. And here's what he told me. The head of the Capitol Police Union told me that on January 6th, the Capitol Police officers weren't prepared for what was going to happen, even though the head of the Capitol Police had intelligence reports dating back to three weeks before January 6th that something potentially very dangerous could happen that day. They weren't prepared for it. They weren't trained for it. And maybe most important of all, they weren't equipped for it. They lacked, they lacked equipment, basic equipment, to take care of something like what should at that point should have been expected would occur. And here's the, here's the bottom line. Once you go up the, to the top of the, the, the flagpole of who is in charge of the Capitol Police, who the uh, Capitol Police Union chief, they, they blame the leadership of the Capitol Police, 
But but due to the rules of the United States Capitol, the power structure of the Capitol, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, has more control and authority and responsibility over the leadership of the Capitol Police than anyone else in the United States Capitol. So she doesn't want us to ask these questions because at the end of the day, she is ultimately responsible for the breakdown of security at the Capitol that happened on January 6th. Yep, she is. That's Congressman Jim Banks from Indiana and appointed to be on the committee. And then Nancy Pelosi won't allow him to sit on the committee, even though he's the ranking member on the appropriate committee. And Jim Jordan is the ranking member on the Judiciary Committee. They are the perfect people in terms of position uh, of Republican minority leadership to be on this committee, but she won't let them be. That's a very serious breach. We haven't really ever had that happen that I know of. So it's going to be like a kangaroo court with Liz Cheney and um, Adam Kinziger. They'll be fair. Don't worry. They will be fair. They will represent your interest. Do not worry. I have some good news. I actually have some good news. I know it's hard to believe, but um, I'm going to ask you, to, again, to make sure you have paper and pencil, because I'm going to tell you something really important. But while we do that, while you're, while you're getting that, um, last, uh, over the weekend, oh, the names, the names, um, here it is. Uh, Jim McBride was talking, he's an attorney for one of the people held in the January, in the D.C. prison from January 6th. He was talking with Greg Kelly, and I want you to hear... This is just more nuance, more information on what we have already been told. Let's listen. You know, what I can say about the January 6ers who remain incarcerated or detained at this point is that their constitutional rights and human rights are being violated by the Department of Justice and the federal government at this very moment. The law is clear that no punishment of any kind is appropriate for a detainee. Despite that, numerous detainees are being held in solitary confinement for long periods of time. They're being denied medical care. They're taking beatings. They're being denied sleep. They're being psychologically, emotionally, and physically tortured on a regular basis. Wait, hold on a second. Who's, uh, who's beating them up? Other prisoners getting into fights? That happens in prison or staff? What are you actually alleging here? I am alleging that the guards are beating them up. The staff are beating these prisoners on a regular basis and have been doing so for a long time. This is no exaggeration. Was your None client whatsoever. was was your client Richard Barnett, nicknamed Big O, sitting at that desk uh, famously? W- was he beaten up by staff? Absolutely was. He was beaten. He was dragged. He was hogtied. At one time, his pants dropped below his ankles, exposing his private parts while he was taking a in front of a female officer, and he had to beg and plead to be able to pull his pants up out of embarrassment. Greg, it's important to note that solitary confinement is widely accepted as torture by the ACLU, the United Nations, the Legal Aid Society, multiple members of Congress, including Elizabeth Warren. At this point, we're going to call on Amnesty International to investigate the human rights violations taking place in the D.C. Gulag right now. You know what? I've got my uh, issues with Amnesty International, but they're good for some things. I understand that they are very concerned, have been about Gitmo. And the more I hear, the more this sounds like Gitmo. Yeah, except Gitmo, the prisoners have gained 20 pounds. They're doing fine at Gitmo. So that's not exactly a good comparison. Uh, but I just wanted you to hear that again. I just it's just appalling. And that's why I talk about it every day. I, that's why I talk about it every day. But two pieces of good news, okay? Sidney Powell uh, and other attorneys are now joining a major movement to assist the political prisoners of January 6th and their families held in jails. They will be offering representation. 
Uh, Everything is about to change. By the way, Sydney's going to join us, uh, not today, but she will join us soon and talk to us about what they're doing. And God bless Sydney. God bless Sydney because she will give uh, the, whoever it is in those D.C. jails uh, who is perpetrating this stuff, she'll give them a run for their money. And let me also add that um, uh, Congressman Gomert, I mentioned to you earlier, I have to change something. He is going he was going to go to the D.C. jail on Tuesday, and I ask you to call your Congress people and ask them to join Louis Gohmert at the D.C. jail to make their voices heard. Uh, the Justice Department is requiring Congressman Gohmert to go to the Justice Department first, so that's what they're going to do on Tuesday. And Thursday, they will be going to the jail. Okay, I'm sorry to get down in the weeds, but I don't know. This is just how it is. It's developing. Uh, and so if you call your congressperson and ask them to, you need to help Louis Gomer. You need to help these people. You need to help these people. And so please go to that jail with Congressman Gomer on Thursday or stand behind him at the press conference and uh, help us to get justice for those people that are being held without bail. And the last thing, this is the one you need the pencil for. We talked about writing to prisoners uh, one of you wrote and suggested that, and then I tried to make that happen by getting names and addresses, and um, I finally have that, okay? So this is called the Patriot Mail Project, patriotmailproject.com. Go to patriotmailproject.com. Uh, they, will ha- they have the names of the prisoners, their addresses, how you can contact them. If you have a family member that is there or someone that you know and you want to add their name, you have a chance to do that. It's a way to communicate uh, and a way to help. You can also contribute. But it's uh, but the letters, the letters. Uh, these guys, I understand. Um, Julie Kelly talked to some of the guys uh, that are being held, and they know about the protests the last weekend, and uh, they're just so grateful. So can we write to them? Can we can we write to them? It's the PatriotMailProject.com. PatriotMailProject.com. We'll put the, that on our Facebook page. But please, it's best if you write it and remember it for all the reasons that you know. All right, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.